want you guys just to take a moment in silence to uh, just bow your heads. And I know we just prayed, but I would like you just in silence to reflect on, uh, just close your eyes and, and think today what, express to God what you have on your heart, and then also just um, ask him to, to speak to you today and, and be open to what he might have to say to you. Reflect on the songs we just sang, what those mean to you. Just ask God to open your heart today to hear from his word. Speak, Lord, we we are listening. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we are in a series called Alien. If you weren't here last week, you may be a little confused. You may be a little frightened at the topic, uh, nature of what we're talking about. We are not talking about little Martians from outer space. We are talking about us as the body of Christ and, and how Peter, in uh, first, the book of First Peter, calls us foreigners and aliens here. And what does it mean for us to be aliens? And last week, this is what we began with, and this is what we, what we started talking about. There were two things I said that were important to remember. If, uh, if you want to know if you're an alien, even in the natural sense here in the United States, you have to know two things. You have to know where you are born and what else? Anyone remember? Where you're from. And if you're from the same place you were born, you are not an alien, right? Because you're from the same place. So you have to be from a different place than the place you live in order to be an alien. And so if you live here in the United States and yet we are called aliens, it must mean we are not from this place. And who is the we? This is about people who have chosen to follow Christ and have become followers of Christ. And what we talked about was the spiritual birth. Just like you were born inside the borders of a nation makes you a citizen of that nation. When you have a spiritual birth, and as Elisa shared earlier, even when we were conceived of God in spirit and in, and you know before the, the creation of time, he had in, in mind for us to be people that understand we are just passing through this place. And we can have our allegiance as Americans, as Germans, as Mexicans, as whatever. That is a part of our identity, but it is not the sum of our identity. We have a greater identity, and that is as followers of Christ, those of us that have chosen to give our lives to Christ. And so we are born of the Spirit when we believe in Christ, and it makes us aliens. And all of a sudden, we have this weird realization that we just don't fit here anymore. Or it's just not comfortable. And and I think we spend so much of our life trying to get comfortable again. I see Christians, I see myself trying to figure out how do we live in this community, in this world, in America, in this culture. And, and it was just freeing for me last week, even in preparation, to say, get comfortable with being a misfit. Stop fighting it. Embrace being a misfit. Has that been freeing for any of you, that thought? I mean, I think so. it's, it, it goes against our nature. We spend our whole life trying to fit in. I mean, I was a youth pastor for many years, and you guys know what it's like, and those of you who are in junior high and senior high, you know how much we desire to fit in. But it's only for kids, right? Only they care about fitting in. No, I mean, we feel it at work. We feel it in college. We feel it in our neighborhood. We see it in our families. There's just something when we're not part of the main group that we feel attention. And I think that's something we need to get comfortable with as followers of Christ, realizing we are aliens here. This place is not our home. We are passing through. Finish this phrase for me. Don't blend. All right, you guys are remembering stuff from messages. I like it. It's got to get a little radical, and then you remember it. And we're not talking about just offending, but this is part of what happens is when we don't blend in, we are, we are set apart, we are wholly different, and all of a sudden that becomes offensive to others. 
it becomes sort of like this indictment, even if we don't intend it to be, because we, we see ourselves in reflection and in relation to other people. And other people do that with us as well, and sometimes it creates a tension when you choose not to live in the way that others do. And so all of these things make us aliens here. And one of the things um, that I was talking about is this phrase that isn't specifically in Scripture but comes out of this concept in John chapter 17, where Jesus says, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, I don't, he's praying to his Father, and he says, I don't pray that you would take them out of this world. Leave them in this world. But he says, but, you know, and, and he says, but they are not of this world. So essentially he's saying, look, we are in this world, right? We're all here, obviously. Say, so, I mean, I'm here. We're in this world. But somehow we're not of this world. And, and that's kind of an interesting dynamic. And, and how do we, how do we reconcile that as followers of Christ? So last week again, we talked about what it takes when we are aliens and just this fact as individuals, we just don't fit. But what I want to talk to, about today is focusing on the not of this world part. Because the thing is, we're not just doing this in isolation. There's something that happens when we come together as the body of Christ. And so what I want to look at today is I want to continue on. I want to finish up uh, the end of chapter 1 in First Peter. So if you turn with me there to First Peter, uh, the end of chapter 1, it's on page 950 if you're using these Bibles. And I'm going to kind of transition with uh, verse 23. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Page 950, I'd love for you all to, to be looking into God's Word here. And remember, if you don't have a Bible, this is yours. You can take it. You can keep it. It's our gift uh, Our gift to you. So we're going to have ourselves an old-fashioned Bible study today. What do you guys think? We're just going to go through God's Word here, little by little? I think that's always a good thing. Here we, here we go, verse 23. For you have been born again. Your new life did not come from your earthly parents, because the life they gave you will end in death. But this new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living Word of God. Again, it's just a summary of what we've just talked about. Look, your life from your earthly parents, I mean, this new life doesn't come from them. That's our old life. That'll end in death. But this, this other life, you're going to be an alien forever. All right? I mean, I guess later on we won't be aliens when we're with God, but in the sense that this life that you've begun is for all eternity. And so this life is going to continue, and so we've got to start figuring out what it means now. This isn't about, like, I'm going to be human until I die, and then when I, and then we'll figure out the rest of eternity. Eternity, for those that are followers of Christ, begins today. It begins the day that you're a follower of Christ. And so there's just going to be a, a seamless continuing on into eternity. And it'll be, I mean, it'll be different then, but it begins now. And so we have to figure out, what does it mean now? It's not like, hey, I became a follower of Christ. I, I was born again. I gave my life to Christ. I was baptized. Check. And now I wait till I die. Until I go meet my maker, as we say. Right? No, like Chris said, we meet our maker now. We're in that relationship now. And so it begins. And, uh, and then let's look, at, look ahead at, at chapter 2. We're these newborn creations. What happens now? So get rid of all malicious behavior and deceit. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and, and backstabbing. I don't know why he picked these particular pieces out, but one thing he's saying here is right away, Look, if you're an alien, if you're a new life now, if you're a new creation, you're going to have to put some stuff behind you. You're going to have to be done with some of this stuff. And I think this is just an example of the kinds of things that's saying your life should look different now, which means you're going to be a little bit out of step because what happens in this world? Hypocrisy? Jealousy? Don't see that, do we? Backstabbing? No, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in your place of work, does it? That doesn't happen in schools. That doesn't. And he's saying, look, put that stuff behind you. Don't just pretend. Our world pretends. And then in the background says, alright, up front, oh, I love you, you're great. 
You know, you fill in the blank. It's pretending. He said, no, be that. You must crave pure spiritual milk. And I love this phrase, so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. I mean, what does that, what does that even mean? Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. I mean, any of us that have had kids or been around kids, this example speaks so clearly and easily. I mean, one of the first things our little two-year-old still does, well, she's finally getting past that, but with the milk, it's like, bottle, bottle, bottle. First thing in the morning, I want my bottle, I want my milk. It's like, first thing, i got to crave it, I want it, I don't get it right away, I'm screaming for it, I'm crying for it. And God is saying, it's not a checkbox that you're a follower of Christ now. It's crave this desire, long to grow into the fullness of your salvation. See, when we're born, we're not experiencing the fullness yet of anything. We've just tasted it. And now it's like grow into that fullness. And what does that look like? And that's really what I want to get into today in this next section. So like I said, this was kind of the transitional thoughts. Now Peter is going to give us an example of what does it mean when aliens assemble. Okay, When people of God get together, here's a picture of what it looks like. And so I'm going to grab a couple verses here and we'll begin to work our way, our way through that. Verse 4. Come to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but He is precious to God who chose Him. And now God is building you as living stones into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priests who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please Him because of Jesus Christ. Alright, let's be honest. How many of you have already zoned out? This passage has a way of help zoning us out. I mean, we get the stuff about oh, jealousy, backbiting, hypocrisy, but now it's like cornerstone, Jesus, the temple, spiritual temple, your holy priest. Let's get to the other. Let's get to some other parts. We, we we don't understand this example very well because this is not part of our culture. This is not part of part of our our understanding. And so, what I want us to to do is I want to give you a little bit of a background first to help us understand this a little bit better. When Paul, uh, when Peter was writing this. To, to the, the, the new believers of that time, and even to the people of, that, of that, uh, that time period in general, not just believers, they understood the importance of the temple in Jerusalem. You know how important the temple was in Jerusalem? It was everything. I mean, in the temple, what was the special thing that resided inside the temple? Anyone? Any guesses? Yeah, the Holy of Holies, the Ark. It was the presence of God. I mean, this was for them. This is where God resides. And where God resides is the center of of our culture, center of our religion, center of our faith, center of our, of, our, of our heritage. This was it. It was the temple. And so this understanding of the temple was, was broadly was, was known. And so we have to look back to the Old Testament and we have to look back through um, just the Scriptures to understand what is the importance of this temple. And so this temple, again, being the center of cultural life and everything that happened there, it represented a distinction between the secular and the sac- sacred. Secular, things of this world, every day, and then there was this temple, and you were supposed to have sort of this, this reverence of the temple. Have you ever gone into just cathedrals, either here in the United States or maybe in Europe, or some very sacred spaces? What happens when you enter those spaces? There's just a sense of like awe and wonder. And sometimes, you know, that, that, that's a downside of the way that we meet, you know, when we're portable in a church or, I mean, in a school, or, you know, we've got a little cross and a couple things to try to create this environment. But, but some of these grandiose temples and places, they create the sense of you walk in and you go, I'm small. God is big. God is great. God is beautiful. God is holy. And, and somehow, without even a word being spoken, you come to confront your own sinfulness. Or you come to realize your own, you know, your own humanity. 
There's a humbling that happens when we get into that setting. And the temple represented that. And more than just being a place that, that had symbols of this, it was the place where God came. And, and as some of you said, inside the temple, there was this holy of holies. There were like these stages of going further and deeper into the center of the temple. And there was this forbidden place inside the temple, the holy of holies. And it had to be separated like by all these different layers because people are sinful. And God is holy and pure and He is just. And never the twain shall meet, right? Never the, there's this, this encounter that, that, that we even read in Scripture. If we would just come into the presence of God, we'd essentially be struck dead by the glory and majesty and, and purity and holiness of who God is. And so here's this, this, this conundrum that people were in. Because how do people, the people of God, the Israelites, they're called the people of God and yet they can't encounter God? Because there's sin and there's, and so how does this happen? And there's these layers that get separated and inside this holy of holies is where only a high priest can go. And so there is this whole, this whole role of priests. And the priests are simply mediators between man and God. Kind of like the middleman between man and God. Like, they're, they're, they're men, but they stand between people and God. And so even to this day, even in, even in, in Catholicism or in other um, religions that have that have uh, priests, the, the, the priest stands sort of in between people and God. And many times, many times people do that to me. They say, Mark, you're, you're, you stand between, the, there's like the church, and there's us as Christians, and then there's God, and then there's the pastor. I don't know where that comes from. Well, we think maybe in some of these terms, and, and there is a role and a function, but, but I'm not a priest. As a matter of fact, I, it's kind of weird when I get called a priest. I'm not a priest, and I know people, priest, pastor, it's all the same thing. It's just kind of weird. And, and here the scripture is saying, you're priests. Congratulations, welcome to the club. You know what's weird about being, being a priest or being a pastor is people don't know what to do with you. They don't. I mean, just last Sunday, last Sunday or last Saturday, the week before, I played uh, indoor soccer and um, I met some new people on the team and, and I was introduced by the guy that brought me. This is Mark, he's a pastor in the community. I'm like, oh. Did you have to? Why do you have to introduce me as pastor? Oh, immediately I'm like some kind of weird guy. I mean, that's just, it's, I'm honest. That's the way it happens. And so not, not literally two minutes after I met this one, this one lady on our team. It's a co-ed team. And, and she's telling a story and she was talking about somebody. She said, there's such a, and then she replaced the word. She said, I was going to say something else, but since I heard you're a pastor, I'm like, yeah. You know, people just, that, that's the effect of being seen in a different sense or in a different light. And what I'm so excited about this message this morning is that this passage says, you are a kingdom of priests. Congratulations, you're a priest. You're a freak. <laughs> you're different than other people. You're, you're called to a different role, and it's not just a role reserved for me as pastor. And so the priest was this mediator between, between God and man. And, and what the priest had to do in order to enter the Holy Holies, there were all kinds of purification things that had to happen. There were ceremonial washings and cleansings. There were sacrifices that the priest would have to offer on behalf of himself and on behalf of the family so that he even had the right to come even nearer to the Holy of Holies. And he would then take, you know, when, and then they would come to the altar and he would be able to take the sacrifices of the people and he would offer them on behalf of the people and to bring this reconciliation between God and man. Now there was a special priest among the priests and this was the high priest. Now the high priest was actually the only one that could enter the Holy of Holies and had to go through even more ceremonial cleansings and things and only could enter, you know how many times a year? One time a year on the Day of Atonement. On the special ceremony, the high priest was able to enter into the Holy of Holies and so after all the rituals, he would slip behind 
Okay, there's no room back there. Um, he would slip behind. It's just a wall. Nothing secret there. Um, the Holy of Holies. That'd be cool if there was a little trap door back there. It could just disappear. Um, he would go behind the curtain, and, and, and I've, I've heard it said that he even had a rope attached around his leg or even some bells on his um, garment so that if he were to die or, you know, have a heart attack or, you know, something happened in there, who could go in and get him? Nobody but the high priest can get him. So it's like, jingle, 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 you know. Here comes the high priest. I don't know if it ever happened. It's not recorded, but it would make for a great story. But that's how revered the Holy of Holies was. And the high priest would offer a sacrifice. And even on the Day of Atonement, he would, there would be two goats that would be brought. One that was sacrificed for the people in the Holy of Holies. And another goat that was led out where the, the, where the high priest would pray over this goat and he would put all the sins of the people on this goat. He would pray the sins onto the goat. And here's the cool thing. The goat, this poor goat was like, I feel the weight of the world on me. He would, the goat would be released into the wilderness and it was called the scapegoat. Ah, okay, you learned something in church today, okay? That's where the scapegoat, here's a scapegoat. We need somebody to take the fall for us. And so this sacrifice represented of the depart, it was just symbolic. It wasn't literally, I don't believe that this goat had the sins and walked them away. It was to remind the people that this is what happens. God is taking away the sins and through the sacrifice, right? And the high priest was the only one that could do these things. And so this, this whole idea of sacrifice and holy and sacred and secular and, 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 and this temple religion, this place of the temple was so important. And as a matter of fact, that to be a priest, you had to have a temple. I mean, you wouldn't be a very good priest if you didn't have a temple because it was, you know, you did things out in the community and you were still a priest, but your priestly functions would happen inside the realm of this place of the temple. And so with this kind of background in mind, let's kind of look at these, let's look at this passage again and some of the rest of this scripture, and maybe it won't just glaze over, but now we have to learn what does this mean for us today. And Peter, using this powerful example that everybody understood, but he's giving it a whole new meaning and a whole new understanding. Come to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Let me just even pause there for a second. The cornerstone. I mean, if you're a builder, where do you start when you lay a wall, when you lay a foundation? I mean, you've got to get the corners straight and true. I'm getting some good nods here from Scott, right? I mean, you understand. If you don't get this piece right, the whole building crumbles. If the cornerstone is a little crooked, the walls lean in, and every wall that you build on top of it, eventually the building collapses. If it's, if it's kind of leaning outward, they fall outward. If it's kind of on an angle, we were at the men's retreat, and up in the upper, they had like the upper room, they called it, for the dining hall, like at the walk up, and you literally sat on an angle. It was like angled down, the whole room was built on an angle. I'm thinking, somebody messed up the cornerstone. I mean, somebody, I don't know what they were doing, but it wasn't straight. And, and I was in Lebanon, you know, this, uh, this last, um, summer, and they have, excavated these old ruins and this old temple and I showed some pictures when I came back but there's this one stone it's like the size of a school bus and they would haul they would quarry these massive stones and then they would make them square and true and they would then figure out through amazing ways without all the modern technology how to set these down and they were immovable I mean they're still here thousands of years later these stones are still there and so they understood the builders understood people understood the importance of a cornerstone and especially the cornerstone of a temple. I mean, if you're going to do God, build God's house, you're going to get this cornerstone right. And the temple went everything. Remember when Jesus talked about the temple being torn down in three days? I mean, it was blasphemy. You don't talk about this place, this building, this physical place where God resides. You don't touch it. You don't mess with it. 
And here he begins saying, come to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Now, that's already like a massive shift in thinking here. So it's not about the temple in Jerusalem, but there is this living temple, and Christ is a living cornerstone. He's not a physical rock. He's a living cornerstone, and yet has that foundational piece that everything must be built on Christ. If you don't build on Christ, your whole building will fall. Your whole life will fall. Our faith will fall. It will either fall in or fall out. It will not be straight. Christ is the living cornerstone, and He's alive. It's not about a physical building. It's not about a place. It's not about a teaching. It's not about the Bible is not the living cornerstone. Do you understand that? The Bible is holy. The Bible is God's Word. But we don't build on the Bible. We build on the Word, which which is taught us, which is Jesus Christ. And He's living and He's alive and He's engaging. And so this is the cornerstone on which we must build. And here's the thing. He was rejected by the people, but He is precious to God who chose Him. So there's this choosing of this cornerstone. Do you choose to build your temple? Do you not? The people who rejected him were the, were the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And others that weren't people believing in him rejected him, right? But he was precious to God who chose him. And now God is building you, one community church, you people who follow Christ, you throughout the ages who have surrendered your life and been born again, everything he just talked about, he is building you as living stones. So there's a cornerstone, and then there's bricks, right? And he's, and he's saying he's using you to build as living stones now into his spiritual temple. I mean, this is just an, an image of when I look here, this is the spiritual temple. It's not found in Jerusalem. It's not found in, in, in the walls of this place. It's not found in the Mormon temple that's being built in Gilbert. It's not found at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Those are great places of worship in a school, as is this. But the spiritual temple is us. And it's not just us. It's us with Epic Church and other Christian churches and believers around the world. We are part of the spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priests. This is, he keeps going with this analogy. Like All of a sudden, now you're, you're the priests. What does that mean that you are the holy priests who offer spiritual sacrifices that please Him because of Jesus Christ? Now, if you've been followers of Christ, did you know that you're a holy priest? Have you been offering the spiritual sacrifices? What are the spiritual sacrifices? Some of you are going, I've never heard this before. I don't know what, I, what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is what he's talking about. And, and um, when I think about this in, in different ways, well, you, even if you look at Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me get, get there real quick here. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, page 875, And so, dear brothers and sisters, Paul is writing now to the church in Rome, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will accept. When you think of what He has done for you, is this too much to ask? I mean, we become the sacrifice. Not only are we the priest, we also become the sacrifice. And it's our life that we sacrifice. And and, and I don't know, I've kind of don't know if this is absolutely the true fact or not, but I like to think of our role as priests as standing between the world and God. That the church, when we are priests of this world, is that we are now the mediators between the secular and the sacred. That God is now calling us to offer ourselves as sacrifices for the world. 
for the lost, for those that don't know Christ, that we would be willing to sacrifice our lives so that others would come to know Christ and that we would bridge and be a bridge to help people come to experience God Almighty. And so how do we sacrifice our life? Offer our life up. It costs us something. A sacrifice costs. It costs us time. It costs us money. It costs us energy. It costs us our investment You know, to, to invest in other people. And now it's not, we don't do any of the saving. Okay, we're not, because we lay our life down doesn't mean that somebody gets automatic spiritual life. It's because of what Christ has done. What, what happened when, when Jesus was on the cross? And he's being sacrificed, right? The scripture tells us Jesus was our high priest. In Hebrews it tells us that Jesus was our high priest. And what that means was he was the one who went before us, who offered the ultimate sacrifice. And in him was not only the, the priest himself, he was also the sacrifice in one. And when he was on the cross, the high priest himself, Jesus Christ, sacrificed his own life, who was called the lamb, the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice. And when he died and he, and he breathed his last and he said it's finished and he hung his head, what happened in the temple? <laughs> the temple veil was torn in two. Now it didn't have a little opening like this. The temple was made out of one seamless fabric. And when the temple veil tore in, tore in two, and this is like goosebumps kind of stuff. This isn't just stuff that, I mean, I told Shannon this the other day, when I, when I start studying scripture, when I just go back through some of the stuff, I go, this is, somebody had to have had an amazing imagination, an incredible coincidence of all history aligning that it just fits so amazingly beautiful what happened in the Old Testament and what Christ represented. That temple veil was torn in two and all of a sudden it was like the Holy of Holies was exposed. Did people die? Did people come now in contact? What happened was the ultimate sacrifice was paid in Jesus Christ and no longer was there a separation between people and God. And we can now be the priests. We can come directly into God's presence. And the scripture says, come boldly before the throne of God. Not afraid, not timid. And the only reason we can is because of what Christ has already done for us. And so when we become the priest, we don't, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice because Christ has already paid the ultimate sacrifice. And so we just ask people to say, give, surrender your life and fall on Christ. And let's kind of, let's look at some of these other, um, parts here as we just kind of keep, keep, keep cruising along here in this passage. And now he's quoting scripture. He says, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem. Now he's quoting like old scripture, right? I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen cornerstone, and anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. So even in the Old Testament, it was already talking about a cornerstone being a person, a living cornerstone, and, and it came to be fulfilled in Christ. Anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. Yes, he is very precious to you who believe, but for those who reject him, the stone that was rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. So the people who were building the, the Jewish religion at the, at, at the time were wanting to continue. When Christ came, they rejected him. And yet that very rejected stone for building the, their, their faith was the very one that built the faith in Christ. He became the cornerstone. And, and the scriptures also say, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that will make them fall. This is the don't blend offend part right, right here. He will make people stumble. You know one of the problems that, that we have with, with faith and Christianity today is we make people stumble. 
The church makes people stumble. Some of the obstacles that we put before people to come to faith makes them stumble. The only thing that ought to make people stumble is Jesus Christ himself. And he is a stumbling block, right? Start talking about Jesus to others. See how they respond. If their eyes haven't been opened, their life hasn't been put on that foundation, he becomes a stumbling block and trips and causes people to, to fall. And then it go, and, and here's what it says, at, at, continuing that verse. They stumble because they do not listen to God's word or obey it. And so they meet the fate that has been planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. What are you not like? You're not like the ones who stumble because they do not listen to God's word or obey it. So what does it mean to be a community, to be a spiritual body, to be a temple? We are different. We're out of step. We are to represent something else, a spiritual temple. And the difference is we follow God's word. We obey it. We follow the truth of God. We follow Jesus Christ. And when we follow that and the world doesn't follow it, are we out of step with the world? Yes, absolutely we're out of step with the world. And how do we deal with that? One, we come together. This is, this is meant when we gather as a church to be a time of strengthening, a time of encouragement, a time to remind ourselves of why we live the way we do, who we live you know, our lives for, what Christ has done, who is it that we worship. And it continually reminds us and gives us the courage to say, we can live different in this world. And we can bond together. And so when we just come to attend church and go home and consume a message and worship, we miss it. We flat out miss what it means to be the church. It's like trying to be a priest without a temple. Right? If this is the temple, the spiritual temple, and you are a, a priest, a nation of priests, when you neglect to come together into this temple, we cannot function in this way in the world. And so we must be the church. We have to come together to encourage one another, to hold one another up. Verse 9, you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, His very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of the darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. I mean, here's this thing. We were all came from a different place and a different time and, 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 you know, not different time, but like, you know, different generations and, and different things like that. And yet, what is it that makes us a community, a body? Always remember in Christ, we are one. I mean, it's, it, if, if we're not in Christ, you can say those lines, but if you're not in Christ, you are not part of that body. But the way you become part of that body is through the spiritual birth and through being part of that nation and, and, and here's the thing, as it says here, we are to be a light to the darkness of this world. And so what I think we need to be understanding is the way we function, the way we live, the way we interact, not just in ourselves and our own morality and our own spiritualness, the way I am out there, the way we are together ought to give people in this world a glimpse of the kingdom of God. I mean, if people... From outside, look in, let's just say here, focus on one community church, and they, they, they look in on, on one community church. Will they look at us and say and see, I catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Now it is riddled with, with sin still and, 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 and imperfect people, and there is you know, some ugliness that happens, and there is conflict that steps in, and we're, we're, we're still fallible. But we catch a glimpse. We see something different that, 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 that more often than not... <laughs> We are living on a different foundation. There's a generosity there. 
There's a selflessness there. There's a willing to pour out on behalf of others. These people understand living their lives as a sacrifice, living love out into the community. They care for one another. They, 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 are, they hold to God's Word. Even the world says this, that. No, their, their values are different. Their morals are different, not because they're trying to follow some religious code, because they understand Christ is the living cornerstone. And if He's the way, the truth, and the life, they've got to follow the way. They've got to follow that life. And there's something different about those people. This is the kind of image, this is the kind of picture that, that, that Peter paints of the church. And it's in different parts of Scripture too. How does that affect the way we see ourselves? We're, we're getting ready to go more public again by going back into the school. And, you know, over, over the years as being a church, every week almost we've had, we've had new people coming in and out our doors. What we do Sunday morning is not just some kind of private club thing. What we do Sunday morning is for the community. It's for the world. And yet the body gathers there. And what I think has at times been lacking in our church is that when people show up on a Sunday morning or at different times, they see a collection of people in, a, in proximity with one another worshiping God, but do they really see and experience the community of God? Do they really see an alien nation and kind of go, these people are freaks, but there's something warm about them. They understand that they are willing to sacrifice their own comfort for someone else. They get up and they get me a chair. They, they, they leave their own conversations in order to meet someone else. They're willing to go out of their way to help a stranger. They're willing to, to, to worship and base their life on a different foundation. And I believe that when we become and continue to become and grow into the fullness of that salvation, others will have a choice to make. Now some will go and go, uh-uh, don't want to be a part of that. They're rejecting Christ. They're rejecting that foundation. But I believe we have to offer the world an alternative. And when we spend our time trying to become so culturally relevant that we become irrelevant because we just blend in. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but I've been really processing this piece. Is like the church ought to be um, you know, trend-setting for the culture. The church ought to like, be leading culture and changing culture. And I think it's true, but we often think in that in terms of pop culture. We think in terms of you know, being modern and using technology and the, the, the stuff we do. You know what's countercultural? Is living by the values of the Christian faith. What's countercultural is not backstabbing, not backbiting, not being jealous. That's countercultural. Being generous, being self selfless, loving others, giving freely of your income to support the mission and ministry of the church. That's countercultural. And when people begin to see a true beauty of what the kingdom of God can look like, they're going to say, I want that. I don't care if you have TV screens. I don't care if you do all the modern stuff, if you got a great band. Those things are nice. They're perks. I want to see the spiritual, um, holy nation of priests living out the calling of God. We are not of this world. So we need to come and understand what it means to begin our life in the kingdom of God. And next week we're going to talk about what it means to be in this world because we're not secluding ourselves. We're not, we're not building a, a monastery of priests. We're a living temple that is out and about and moving. So what does it mean for you? You have to answer that question. What's your role here? How do you live your life as a priest being someone who stands between our world and God to say, I'm here to help bridge people to Christ and, and that's the role that God has given you. Let's be that kind of church. Let's build that kind of uh, community here at One. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Some of, sometimes some of these things are maybe a little bit more difficult for us to grasp or they speak of um, things that uh, maybe we're not that familiar with. 
And yet, God, you paint uh, such a beautiful picture, a reminder for us that if we don't build our life on you, uh, we're missing the cornerstone of life itself. Father, my heart burns for this church to really be an alternative to the screwed up world. We love the world just like you love the world from the sense of people and of hearts and souls that are created for you. And yet, God, I find us sometimes trying to be to be all, all things to all people in a way that, that compromises who we are. Father, give us courage and boldness to, to be your church, to welcome others with loving arms, but to really build our lives on these foundations, to be a spiritual temple, God. Whether we meet here at One Central or whether it's in a school or whether it's uh, serving pancakes in a park, God, we are your temple. Father, I pray that others, when they come to the temple or encounter us, just like in the Old Testament, God, that they would find the living God there. That when they're in our gatherings, when they're in our home, when they're in conversation with us, that, that they would encounter you and see your life flowing through us, your living Holy Spirit alive and well. God, give us again the courage and the boldness to live as foreigners and aliens here, comfortable in that, in that role. God, would you use us as we prepare to move out of here again and out into the community to be a kingdom of priests, God, people that, that see our role as bringing others to you into relationship with you. Father, use our church in a mighty way. Use us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.